Multitask. I'm John Moore. It's a boy Friday. What's going on, guys? So this past weekend, we commemorated the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Uh, I don't know about you. I There's a lot of... Going into 9-11, there was a lot of really good TV that was produced and put out that I wanted to watch, but I couldn't bring myself to watch. Well, have you have you seen any of those programs or watched any of that stuff yet? Uh, there's a lot of specials and stuff, but I haven't really um, gotten into it, to be honest. I find it to be a little bit... Um, it's also like it's a Saturday, and I think generally people aren't at home watching TV, so I haven't caught a, a lot of it, to be honest. The one, that, the one that's most fascinating to me that I want to watch, but I don't... I. It's weird because I've never had a really tough time with 9-11, but I also think it's kind of... I think it's. I think part of it's probably heavier than I think. It, I, I think. I'm. I think. I think subconsciously that's probably heavier than I'm. I'm ready for. But the one that I want to see is CNN interviewed the kids who were in the classroom with oh, wow. George Bush, and they're adults now. That was twenty years ago. Those were. I'm not sure what grade they were in, but you assume at the youngest they were five, at the oldest they were nine. So you're talking about some mid twenty something year olds who are now adults post post college. I, that that that's the one I I think I'd like to see. Some of the other ones might be really really tough for me. Yeah, I'm actually a um, uh, what they call a procedural nut. I like to I, I like procedure. I like policy. I like r- r- rules, and I like knowing what the uh, protocol is. I'm I'm just a nut for things like that. That's why I like documentaries and shows like The West Wing and stuff. Um, and there's an article, it, it might not be from this year, but there's an article that I'm, I was just reading before we were recording, the oral history of basically that 12 hours that, uh, of George Bush and his team and how he was, the Air Force One was the only plane in the sky at one point. They had to put like extra food on it and everything like that. I, I, I like that stuff because I'd like to know how things work. Me and you talked about the Secret Service before and all that stuff. So I'm a big fan of, of how, how things work behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah, same here. Uh, and then during the commemoration um, in New York, I thought it was a very interesting uh, commemoration where they actually had uh, Clintons, the Obamas, Biden, uh, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, the New York delegation were all there. I think uh, the vice president was in Shanksville. And I also think that's where George Bush was. And, and I... Yeah. And I and I and I do think it was appropriate um, for Bush to go out and on his own. He was a president that day. I mean, I would have liked to have seen him actually at in New York as well. But I also think it's kind of bad if you give all of the firepower, all the dignitaries to to Ground Zero, and you don't put them in in other in other spaces. I think the Pentagon was strictly Pentagon people, and I think it was uh, Vice President Harris and Bush. Uh, in Shanksville, and then of course, Trump just made a very nasty video, and then he just, you know, just showed up at a police slash fire station. But um, it it, I, it was good to see to see everyone there, and I mean, it does also seem, you know, was that a partisan type of commemoration? The fact that it was very Democratic heavy, but uh, I don't know. What, what do you think? Well, we talked about it before with the idea is that if you take Trump out of the picture, really the last uh, obviously Carter with his health and his age. And obviously he can't really move around like that, but Clinton, Biden, Obama are really all Democrats. And they're the ones who are, who are still kind of in the, in the spotlight, if you will, George Bush is there and he was obviously there part of the inauguration and all that stuff. But uh, I, I agree with you, right? He's obviously linked to nine 11 more than anybody ever could be. Uh, that's part of his legacy, if not his entire legacy, would be 9-11. So for him to kind of be on his own was probably the right call there. Um, can I ask you a question? What do you – what um, – I don't want to get into like a where were you or anything, but obviously you're – I was a kid, I was in middle school. I was in eighth grade, and I'm an Arab-American, so it was probably a little different experience for me than it was for you. Uh, do you remember – or what is your kind of take on the last t- kind of 20 years? Well, well. First of all, let me give you something that'll and it, and it'll 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 be uh, a look into one of the things that connects us together, which is Columbia College. So I was actually um, in the I lived in Hyde Park at the time, but I was working back in my hometown, and we were working on a thing called 
Unity Day hands across the Southland. It's the South Suburbs. And it's funny because my boss now, who's a longtime family friend, she and I were actually working on with a bunch of other people um, on this thing called Hands Across the Southland. And the guy, this guy walks in and says, um, I'm not, I normally make jokes, but I'm not making jokes. A plane hit, you know, the World Trade Center. And everybody in the room was sat in stunned silence, except for the congresswoman, who was not yet the congresswoman, who got up and just ran out of room because she was from New York. And she was calling friends and family, trying to you know, frantically look them down, try to come down. So then the next step was after that was done, and we still don't, at, you know, within the first 30 minutes, 45 minutes, even an hour, you still don't understand the severity of it. And I don't think the towers had fallen yet. And so I just, you know, at that, we like, oh, there was a plane crash. You know, you still didn't know that the country was under attack, so to speak. So I hop in the car and I'm driving to school. And, you know, I'm coming from the south side or southern suburbs. And once you get past 79th Street on the Dan Ryan, you're just looking at the Chicago skyline. And I just yeah. remember that's when the news reports started coming in about the Pentagon and Shanksville. So now I am for about, you're in the Dan Ryan for about 20 minutes. The entire time I'm on Dan Ryan, I'm staring at the Sears Tower waiting for a plane to crash into it. So that 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 was that was my morning of 9-11. I, I, I'll never forget that, forget that. And all the, all the detail and all the different kind of steps and elements and also the emotional, not the emotional, but the, it went from, wow, that's bizarre, a plane crash, to, you know, to as it unfolded throughout the day to just something a lot more, right? Yeah. Um, that's, it. That's, it. that's actually interesting because I do remember Chicago being um, warned as a big city that something might come. It's interesting because that's the turn of the, the, turn of the, the, the 2000s was like you're on the, the – the beginning of this tech boom and the world changed in many ways, partly because of nine 11 and, and it happened to coincide with all the technology. There wasn't social media. There wasn't people calling each other. There wasn't video that you immediately had access to. Um, and so I, I find it fascinating that because the news got to you a little slower, there wasn't any way to figure out what was actually going on. Also, the word terrorist was a thing obviously that existed, right? World trade centers were bombed in 1993 unsuccessful or depending on how you look at it, but unsuccessfully. So the word terrorist was a thing, but really we all learned quickly after nine 11, that word, and it became just part of the lexicon and it became part of just America, right? There's our, the legacy of nine 11 is we, as we just saw with Afghanistan, it lasted this entire time and, and it's it's gonna it's in many ways it's, it's a lot deeper than Pearl Harbor partly because of what happened after if that makes sense yeah but you know one of the things and it was something that I've talked to a few folks about and again you were you said much younger but um one of the things that I think is really important is I taught on 9-11 and I actually had a class the day after and I taught also, the day after Donald Trump won the presidency. Do you know that the day, not just for me, but for students, the day after Trump won was 10 times a more traumatic educational experience than, than 9-11. Now, it may have been simply because um, of the, and you know, you being Arab, you were on, on the other side of this probably without being wanting to be on the other side, but there was a us versus them on 9-11. Mm -hmm. There was a good guys versus yes. a bad guy. There were these guys from another country that attacked us. When Trump won, a significant part of the country felt that some of our worst suspicions about our neighbors, our neighbors, not so much for black folks or Arab folks, but for our white friends, our neighbors that look like us, our neighbors that speak like us, that you that don't look a whole hell of a, a lot different from other folks. I don't know. And I think they felt betrayed. I mean, I, you, again, you were really young on 9-11, but do you, does that even resonate with you, the fact that the day after Trump winning was, for many people, probably more traumatic 
than 9-11. I, I couldn't agree with you more, and I'm happy you went there. I was kind of trying to avoid it because I, I, I don't want to always come back to Trump, but I couldn't agree with you more. You're absolutely right. right? America on September 12th, 2001, we're, we're all together. I think it was probably the, the lowest crime rate day, I think, in our history. Like Nobody was trying to hurt nobody else. Everybody was on the same page. We were mourning, we were healing, we were angry, and we were feeling all those things in unison. And in 2016, when Trump won, was there was half the country who was saying, this is an absolute disaster. And the other half of the country was like, finally, we could speak our mind and, and spew this hatred that Trump spews. And I'm glad you brought it up because I, I have a take here and you don't have to stand by it. And anybody listening, understand that this is my take and, and not John's take. But um, the question I have for you is, did, did 9-11 work in the sense that I, I could easily draw a line from the hatred that we see today? Not just for Arab Americans or Muslims or, or people who uh, st- who are part of the Islamic faith, right? But of also the, the Hispanic and Latino community, the black community. I could look at the hatred of everybody that's not uh, white, right? And I don't want to make it a white thing as much as a, a different thing, right? But I could draw a line from Trump winning the election to that. I could draw a line from 9-11 to Trump winning the election directly. And my question to you becomes, did it work? Because I never felt like an Arab American in this country till 9-11. I never felt different till 9-11. I always just felt like I was a Chicago kid who was part of just this. I grew up in a black and Hispanic community and we were just all kind of part of the struggle together. And not until 9-11 did I feel like, oh, I am different and I'm going to have to deal with this as I get older and I still have to deal with it as I get older, right? So, so when you say did it work, Darrell, what do you mean? Like, did it work for who? What, what, what is the did it work question is what I, I guess I want to know before I answer that question. Yeah, well, they, they attacked us and yes, they killed people and obviously it worked in that way. But people say, oh, we got stronger and we became together and we helped each other and we became more kind and we were all on the same page. But that's not what ended up happening 20 years later. So the question is, did they destabilize us? Did they cause uh, friction and a, a, a break line within the American kind of psyche that, oh, this person might be this or this person might be that? Did that? Do you see that direct cross line from 9-11? Well, I'll give you a, a, another nuanced answer that, I, first of all, that's the first time I heard that question, and so it's very fascinating. But my initial answer is, in a really weird way, some of the stuff that we're dealing with, we were headed towards. Don't forget, this was after mm-hmm. the 2000 election. This was after many of us feel that um, the presidency was stolen from Al Gore by George Bush. This is after many of us viewed Al Gore I mean, George Bush as, you know, an illegitimate president. You, you know, before there was Trump as the illegitimate president, we felt that that um, Bush was the illegitimate president. Don't forget, he did not win the popular vote. And it was very mm-hmm. suspect on, on how it went. So, <clears throat> if anything, first of all, let's not minimize the trauma, the tragedy, the loss. But in many ways, might it have kind of bought Bush and U.S. some time to sort of try to unite one more time. Um, the stuff, the reason why the uniting fell fell apart and over time, I don't think had anything to do with terrorism or bin Laden. It had more to do with the, 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 the circumstances before. Don't forget, even in the 2004 speech that Obama gave during the Democratic National Convention, he has that one line, is second, we'll count the votes, and he pauses and says, most of the time, right? In 2004, which is three years after 2001, John Kerry's campaign, in some ways, a lot of it was about avenging the theft of 2000. So, (coughs) to the point of your question, if anything, it may have given us one last opportunity to unite. 
And I think the biggest challenge, and it's, I think it's the biggest problem, and it goes a long way into while the best thing that happened to George Bush was Donald Trump. I'm sorry. Um, but, you know, when I think about how despised he was, how despised Cheney was by many on the left and many in the center, and what what they did was, and not, we have to move on to Iraq, but is on the one hand, in one breath, they're saying, oh, we're not going to vilifize or demonize our Muslim brothers and sisters. But by the same token, they're going to go ahead and target a Muslim country, Iraq, which had nothing to do with 9-11. And that was, a, that was leveraging anti-Islamophobia, you know, anti-Muslim, anti-Arab, anti-Arab sentiment. That's how they got away with it, right? So I think that... I think that... Trump maybe the Republican Party had always known their base, but they kind of kept them in check. They riled them up, they leveraged those wedge issues, but they also knew they could only go so far. Trump came in and said, "You know what? I'm riling up, but when I get you riled up, I'm not putting you back in that room. I'm letting you run, right?" And I think that's the biggest difference. So, um. I, I don't think what we're going through right now is a, is a destabilization. I think now maybe in the foreign policy space, yes, but in the domestic space, no. I don't think in the domestic space. If anything, in the domestic space, I think it gave us an opportunity to, because we did unite, but we did not take that moment and, and correct things. Maybe had we corrected things, then we wouldn't have Trump, but that's on us, not... And I don't think that's a, but I don't think that's a byproduct of 9-11, in my opinion. It's interesting. Um, I feel differently, and let me tell you why. Is because I do agree with you that the Republicans are always known for riling up their base. But you, you know more than I do, because I was obviously a little younger. But if I'm not mistaken, it was more around taxes and law and order and say don't know drugs and that stuff. George Bush, when I watched the documentary about 2000 election, Bush was really hammering away at things that had nothing to do with terrorism and foreign policy and immigration, really. 9-11 hits and, and they pivot, right? They turn into immigration is bad. Uh, we got to stop all the terrorism in the world. And Sharia law can't come here and, and this and this and this. And... Remember the, the 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 sentiment against Obama wasn't that he was black, right? It was that he was Islamic and he was had a Middle Eastern name and his middle name was Hussein and he was really from the Middle East. It, it wasn't that he was a, a, a black guy from the South Side of Chicago. It was like, no, he's he's they put him with the the robe and everything, and he was Islamic. So the sentiment against Obama was that and. If you look at that and really where that came from was Donald Trump and then Donald Trump coming in and saying, remember, he kicked off his campaign saying we got to stop the terrorism and the, the, the people coming over from the border. His first week in office, he institutes a Muslim ban that had nothing to do with anything. It was just pure racial. So that's the draw lineup. And, and then look at what's happening on Jan. There's a reason George Bush mentioned January 6th when he was talking about September 11 was because to me, they're, they're tied, right. Is, is it's frustrating to talk about John, because I look at America as weaker than it was 20 years ago. And granted, I was a, a teenager back then. And I probably didn't know. And there was always the racial things. There was always the Breonna Taylors and the George Floyds that was always happening. And there was always anti-immigration uh, kind of sentiment. Um, but I look at January 6th as one of the weakest moments we've ever had in our country, and I'm not a historian. But to me, that directly is lied against this power grab to everybody against the left. So th that's kind of my opinion on it, is I, I feel like America is weaker than it was 20 years ago, and that's because of 9-11. And that's probably a, a really general line. But again, I think I agree with you that we're weaker. Weaker from the standpoint of having the ability to unite. Yeah, but I, <coughs> I, I think nine eleven what it presented as it relates to what we're going through today 
it was our last opportunity to unify. That's what I and and, and so I'm saying that whatever whatever whatever's happening today that can be tracked back to 9/11, that's tracked back more to Americans and their desire to I mean the 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 being intellectually ignorant has been a hallmark of the Republican Party long before 9/11, right? Um, some of the most animating issues that have you know animated the issues between the left and the right existed before 9/11. I think it I I think it was I think it was more domestic. The you know again not minimizing what the trauma and the tragedy, I think, as it relates to some of the lasting impacts that is impacting us today, I honestly think it, that's more on us and the really bad human nature of a lot of people. And, I, and, and I'm, you know what? I don't even want to say American people. I think when you look at, um, when we do have the luxury of looking at some of the stuff that's going on in other countries and civil war and strife, I don't think we're unique. We can only deal with what we have and you know what we have here, but yeah, I think that I I, I think that the the connection is still on us and on our and, and I think unfortunately and it's a space that we spend a lot of time talking about what I work on, it's our political environment right that mm-hmm. that is really undermined where we are today. Yeah, and I do want to be clear to anybody listening is I do think we did unite after nine eleven and the. The bond, that the collective bond that we all have, people who were alive on 9-11, I think is, is, is strong. And we all have visceral memories of where we were and everything like that. Um, and we've seen with like the Boston bombing or um, some of these shootings or, or what have you, like the country does come together. And I, I just want to be clear in that. I, I do think we are capable of it. Um, I, I do think that though the right's ability to spew hatred and fear monger is causing the division. And maybe that didn't directly come from nine 11. As you said, they've been doing that as a party for a long time. Um, so that's what we're dealing with now is just this idea that half this country believes in hatred and believes in spewing that. And they were willing to overthrow the government or try to overthrow the government to try to get their, their power back. So um, I do think the legacy is, is there, and I, th- I do think we're, we're going to be dealing with it in the next couple of elections. You know, now one of the things, and I think it's probably one of the reasons I have a hard time, um, and this is something I've dealt with, and this is our first time in the last 20 years where we've not had war, um, but one of the things I've never really been really good with, and it's not stolen valor, but it's the people who use the heroism of others. Yeah. Whether it's first responders or the military to shame other people, right? Um, when you look at the people who are very into um, almost over the top of their you know, support of the police, the back to blue, the people who are the Patriot Guard, the people who... Pre- who, who, you know, escort every fallen soldier, whether they've got a connection to them or not. You know how the right likes to, to call out on the left virtue signaling? I think that some of the military celebration, some of the police and, you know, uh, first responder celebration, it's almost a version on the right of their own form of virtue signaling. And what's fascinating about it is... It's become so partisan that there are a lot of celebrations or observations of the military, <clears throat> of first responders, that I want to be a, wouldn't mind supporting or what have you, but I don't feel welcome, right? It 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 it, it almost seems partisan. I was at an event earlier and someone asked me who was there, and I described him. I said, you know, it was a lot of first responders. The police were there. And he said, well, what about the crowd? I said, the crowd tended to be a little bit more um, the the crowd that you know, always turns out for the military and for the police. And I wonder if 
just even who, how we commemorate our heroes. And I'm not just talking to military here, so I'm talking about our first responders. I'm wondering if that hasn't become kind of partisan and divisive in that, you know, <coughs> when a young uh, female officer died the other week, I don't know if I would have felt comfortable, you know, you know, had, had the hearse passed by a community I was in, I would have definitely stood attention and, you know, been, you know, you know, honored to be in her presence as, as her body went through. But I don't feel like, I don't know. How, do, do you do you see what I'm what I'm talking about with with that like feeling welcome and part of that type of stuff? I completely agree. I I even was hesitant to post anything about the young officer who was killed because I, I post a lot of uh, police reform and 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 anti police stuff that sometimes I don't feel welcome in a space to be like she shouldn't have lost her life, obviously, or even in the the respect the troops thing feels very partisan because you there there has to be nuance there right we can still respect the troops and support the troops and and, and wish the best for them but still believe that maybe we shouldn't be in these countries and we shouldn't be doing the things that the troops are doing so there, we we have to have a, a kind of space for both things there but i do agree with your overall point is um they i think they lost that right like it didn't even come from January sixth, right? It's the John Stewart trying to help first responders who responded to nine eleven to get relief or health care or or some sort of help, and every single Republican kind of going against that. There's that. There's what happened on January sixth. There's there's the, the fact that we don't fund the VA or fund the mental health services that these soldiers who come back need, right? All of that stuff is kind of in that lore, and I think it, it gets lost. If you ask an average person, they'll tell you that the Republicans want more law and order and they believe in the troops and the police and all that stuff. But in reality, I think we kind of know that it's kind of the opposite, I feel like, at least. Well, it, like, and that's why I said it seems like it almost feels like a virtual signaling. There's also yeah. a significant amount of American male masculinity associated with it, you know, and it's tough. You know, when I'm at a ball game, and we we stand for the troops. I stand because I'm supposed to stand, and I definitely don't want to be the guy not standing. But I'm yeah. also standing with a bunch of folks who are not going to support the uh, politicians or policies that are going to make the lives of these soldiers better. Right? It's 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 it, it, and it, and that's why I call it virtual signaling to a certain point. It's like support the troop, back the blue, all this other stuff. But then when there's simple things. That and and I think the tragedy is the number of the number of people who serve in uniform at the military or public safety level who feel that people on the left don't have their back. You know, we might not be taking far in some of the more perform. You know, you know, outward, uh, you know, uh, outward shows of support that that the po- folks on the right do, but we also tend to sometimes support them more substantively with the policies we champion with, with what we want, you know, it's, you know, the, the, and, and, you know, what's funny is the people who support, you know, the military over, you know, over the top, um, the people who say, you know, well, LeBron James is making millions. It's not like he's, you know, fighting fires, what have you. Those same people aren't going to vote for the, you know, two percent tax levy that's going to go ahead and make sure that the firefighters and the police officers get what they need, and make sure make sure that those. You, you know how many I read a I've read it before, but I'm not. I'll work in generalities as opposed to specifics. But <coughs> isn't there like an outrageously high number of military families that are on some form of public assistance? Right. You know that's tragedy. You know, so I might not sit there and, you know, I might even kneel during the national anthem, what have you, but I'm also going to probably be supportive of the things that are going to help lift up the military families. Not only that, John, but I'll take it a step further. We have um, a, 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 the right of this country who praises Donald Trump, who, who talked down on John McCain, who made fun of him who called soldiers losers and suckers for dying for their country. We have that guy 
who dodged every uh, draft and, and bone spurs and all that stuff. And they praise him as this big, tough guy who's good for the military. And then on the flip side, we have Joe Biden, whose son was served. And his son didn't die in service, but his son served and served proudly. And Biden was very proud of that. Not only that, but look at how much they hate Kinzinger, who, who's uh, a part of the, the service. Look how much they hate Tammy Duckworth, who almost gave her life in service. You know what I mean? I couldn't agree with you more. It, it's all kind of just performative BS because, yeah, they stand for the anthem and, and they hate Colin Kaepernick for kneeling and all that stuff. But in reality, they don't actually care because they're not actually doing anything to help. And, and they're probably the ones voting against all the stuff that's helped. And again, the whole Trump and McCain and, and Kinzinger and Duckworth, and they hate, they tend to hate anybody who's had service who wants to help. So I couldn't agree with you more, to be honest. Right, right. It's it, it's it, it, it's crazy. And, you know, it brings me to kind of the next piece where um, this week um, Joe Biden gave, or last week Joe Biden gave a speech in which he mm-hmm. basically kind of laid down the law on COVID. And he, and yeah. he put forth some some pretty hard nosed policies, and the right is freaking out. But are they freaking out because they see an opportunity to freak out, or are they mm-hmm. really troubled by what Biden is proposing? No, they're not troubled at all. They just want they just want to score cool political points. Um, as as Biden pointed out, Fox News has a vaccine mandate to su- surprise some of their viewers, right? Um, which we knew that months ago. Look, I think he's done coddling them, and it's it's kind of nice to see a president on the right side of history stop trying to buckle to half the country that doesn't care, that literally just does not care, right? And you can be anti-vaccine, but you can't be anti-vaccine, anti-mask, anti-social distancing, anti-any single sort of uh, program that's trying to help get the country back in order, right? Um, and I see some people on the left even, right? I think some hosts on CNN got in trouble for for saying hey we got to be nice to these people and we got to convince them and boom 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 and you know what i picture john i picture the the generation of world war ii who literally they they sacrifice i'm i'm not a i'm not a i'm not like a guy who's who's into that kind of world but the entire country sacrificed basically to make sure that the country was running properly during that time, right? Women were working more than they ever did and taking care of families and men were sacrificing themselves and signing up and wanting to go to Normandy and wanting to go and fight. And then I have here this generation that lauds, that that praises that prior generation, real tough guys, real masculine guys, right? That's when the country was good. Make America great again, all that stuff. And they won't put on a mask, to, to help their country. They won't take a vaccine to help their country. They believe in the individual freedom of choice, but this isn't um, your choice of where you want to live or who you want to vote for. This is a choice that you might affect everybody else around you. And I've always talked about this. We're part of a social contract that we're all in this together. There's a reason that there's 25 mile per hour uh, uh, slow zones at schools. I don't have any kids. Why do I care about your kids? But we're all part of this together. And we all got to get through this together. And I think Biden was trying to say that very, in a, in a very tough love way. Yeah, and what's fascinating is Biden, even in his statement, you know, he said, you know, you need to get, you know, we're asking employers from an OSHA standpoint. They gave him an option. <laughs> you know, everyone's saying there's a vaccine mandate. There's not really a vaccine mandate. It's a vaccine or regular, I think it's weekly testing. Is 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 also an option. So he's not even. So if you really don't want to take the vaccine, you don't have to take the vaccine. You just have to be tested weekly. And um, you know there are some clever moves. You know they went through OSHA, the Occupational Health and Safety Administration. I think that's what the acronym stands for. Mm-hmm. Um, it had to be done. And I think one of the things and. The thing that pisses me off about the Jake Tappers of the world and the Chuck Todd's and a lot of cable news is everything's a horse race. You and I can come out, Fauci, Biden can come out with some sound uh, policies or procedures or, or guidelines that are rooted in the science and are going to help make us healthy. 
And the first thing that these guys pivot to is what polling says. What polling says. That's just so frustrating because the reality is if polling were, if it was up to polling, um, there would have been no Emancipation Proclamation. If it was up to polling, there would have been no uh, civil rights legislation back in the 60s. And I think, and and I want to, you know, one of the people I want to have is one of my uh, pollster guys that I work with. Um, but I sometimes think that we over-poll, right? The mm-hmm. minute something comes out, um, we poll on it, and people give a knee-jerk response, and then that knee-jerk response kind of drives how people are going to approach this particular subject. You know, I mean, have you seen that before? Uh, yeah, I definitely think we over-poll too much, and I think that that's going to be corrected because of, of kind of the mistakes that were made in 2016, 2020. But I, I want to go back to your point about vaccine mandates. This isn't like um, a groundbreaking territory here. There, there's already vaccine mandates in place, right? Like everybody is freaking out over vaccine mandates. There's vaccine mandates all across the board. I talked to an army friend of mine this week. He said he got 14 vaccinations in the same day, the first day he was in the army. And he he would say that you would get in trouble if you questioned what the vaccine was. Like, they would just give you vaccines. You weren't even allowed to question, oh, what is this, right? It wasn't about, oh, do I want to take this? Like, you couldn't even ask what the vaccine was. And that's why I say it's all performative because Fox News has a vaccine mandate. Every school that I've been to had a vaccine mandate. This is just part of society, and this is part of the United States. And it's here's another thing, right? It's just not just us, right? Russia and Korea and China, they all have their own vaccines. That, like, you know what I mean? So... It's frustrating, and I'm just, I'm glad Biden came out and said, all right, enough is enough. We're done here. You guys are just purposely sinking this entire thing for no reason. People are dying unnecessarily. Um, He took shots at DeSantis without saying DeSantis' name. He took shots at Abbott without saying Abbott's name. Um, And here, here, I said this last week, I think this is going to hurt them so bad in, in, in in the ballot box, the Republicans. I do not think that they will survive a, a lot of these elections. I'm hoping at least. But let's circle this back to 9-11 and what you were just saying. Look at the idiocy. Look how they celebrate in ignorance. <coughs> this is how Republicans have always been. And I think this is also the frustrating thing. And I've told you before, I'm not sure how I feel about our new Democrats, the anti-Trump crowd. Because if Trump were not in office, if Trump never served as president and we had gotten Marco Rubio or Chris Christie or Jeb Bush, would they have been as responsible as seen error the ways or would they have just continued on with that crap? Again, a lot of my favorites, a lot of the Republican, a lot, some of my favorite people on TV right now are the Republicans who speak truth to power. But they only did that when Trump got in charge. And I wonder, would they, you know, would they have been as strident had there, had one of the more acceptable Republicans won or they've been stoking, stoking the stuff. The fact that we still are dealing with, you know, the, the horse pace, the fact that that's still an issue, the, the fact that you have, uh, you heard about how somebody posted a story about how the army sent this text message and everyone's got to get yeah, their they shot never got and all the people in a wallet and it wasn't true. This, and it's something that we talk about regularly and it goes, and it's, it's weird that we're doing almost like the theme of 9-11. Whether it was COVID, whether it was January 6th, I cannot believe the fact that we never really truly united. We, you maybe say in the early days of COVID, we were united, right? But no, they were just chomping at the bit, you know, to 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 to. It's to, it, it, it's, it's frustrating. Yeah, look, I, yeah, part of it is is. Trump looks at looked at everything as political, right? He remember the first time he knew about coronavirus for about a month. He went on a stage at a campaign rally and said it was a ho- it was a democratic hoax. Under his administration, under his people, 
under under his uh, uh, Senate majority, right? Like this is a Democratic hoax. We see DeSantis say it's not a big deal. Florida did it right. Abbott, who's on his third booster, might have had a fourth booster. Who knows, right? That this is all the anti-mask stuff is all is all BS, right? Um, it's extremely frustrating. We didn't unite. Here's the thing: you talked about the frontline workers in 9/11 and the police and fire, and, and what about the nurses and the healthcare workers who were dying trying to save us? And then Trump goes on TV and accuses them of selling masks uh, on the black market to make an extra dollar. Like, this is the people that we are dealing with. I, I, don't, I don't think it would have been that way under Rubio and or Pence or whoever it was, only because, like you said earlier, the Republicans want to unleash the beast and then put it back in the box until next time. What Trump did was unleash it and to the point where it wasn't able to get put back in a box. And now they have to run with it. So we'll see if that costs them elections and seats in the next couple of elections. I hope it does. It's it's it it, it just it's becomes crazier and crazier. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that uh, happened this week was Biden had gone ahead and asked members uh, of various boards that you know oversaw the service academies. Uh, that were appointed by Donald Trump to resign or be fired. And some people in the Trump sphere lost their mind. It was, uh, I think it was a power move. What were your thoughts when you saw that happen this past week? Isn't that what happens, though, all the time, though? Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Yes and no. So what will happen is there are boards and commissions usually are not as politicized as, say, if, um, you and I were, if we were appointees at the Department of Agriculture, um, we would be expected to resign, right? Um, yeah. The, some of the stuff, the arch boards, the stuff that, especially stuff that really should not have a partisan bend, right? Um, those people oftentimes will stay through. Um, but what reason, but, you know, the belief is, is that, these individuals were close to Trump and, and, you know, the man was very disrespectful to the troops. The man was very disrespectful to the military academies. So that, that was kind of the take there, but yeah, it, it happens, but usually not in the space of boards and commissions, but more in the space of, you know, appointees in a particular federal agency. That type of thing. Yeah. But from my understanding is, People like Kellyanne Conway, are they're not even qualified, right? It's just like Trump wanted his people there, and they're not even qualified to do the job that they're asked to or be at the seat that they're asked to be at. Uh, and Kellyanne Conway, who's obviously the one who flipped out the most, but she was quoted in 2017 when Trump was firing people left and right. She was quoted as saying, he's the president, he's allowed to do that, and everybody needs to chill, right? And then now she kind of flips the script. So, like I said, it's just it's always going to be a double standard with Republicans and Democrats. They're always going to hold us to a different standard that they hold themselves. So, as far as I can, as far as I'm concerned, they could all kick rocks. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the day after uh, this podcast debuts next week, the people of California will be voting in the recall. Oh um, man! So, some of the people listening to the show will be hearing our predictions, and they will be uh, in suspense on what's going to happen. Some people may be listening to it after we know what's happened. What are your expectations on Tuesday in California? I'll tell you what. I was extremely scared, and I still probably am. But recent polling has come out that said just the numbers aren't there for Republicans to pull this off, and they think that Newsom is pretty safe. Um, so I'm going to guess that that's going to happen. And I'm going to I'm gonna give you a take of why this is going to be good. I think this is a, a perfect example of what might happen in 2022 and 24 is this idea that this is not something that maybe everybody was paying attention to. And then you have someone like Larry Elder come in or pick and choose, copy and paste, crazy Republican in. And Democrats who might have not voted usually are saying, okay, I have to show up here because it really, really matters. 
And you have always been optimistic about 2022. And I think that this is a, a thing, right? This is a thing where we see what's happening in, with Abbott in Texas and, and the rights of, of women and voting rights all across this country. And we might get to the point where their craziness, their out of bounds makes us show up even more. And the only thing they had going for them was that sometimes Democrats take elections off. And so now that might have all backfired on them. So I think that I think Newsom's probably safe, um, but probably still too close for my comfort. So that's still pretty scary overall. Yeah, I feel I'm optimistic. I do think that Larry Elder um, might scare a lot of people into not voting. I'd also be very fascinated to see, even, you know, we're going to get numbers. Even if Newsom wins, we're still going to see what happens. I'd laugh if, if, if Larry Elder's not even a top vote getter in the Republican side. But, I, and I wonder, someone mentioned that should Newsom, you know, survive this, might California Democrats consider passing a law uh, doing away with the recall process, right? Uh, you know, Newsom's going to have to turn around and run again in 22, because that's what, that's his cycle. Um, I don't think money's going to be a problem for him, but, you know, these are resources going to waste. Um, but, you know, one of the things, I think I mentioned this to you, uh, you know, via like a DM or maybe even a mention on, on Twitter or text even, is there's really three governorships that are up right now. Um, there's, you know, the fall races and fall races in odd number of years in both New Jersey and Virginia. And you have Democrat, well, you don't have an incumbent governor in Virginia because you can only serve one term, but Terry McAuliffe is as close to an incumbent as could be, and he should coast. And then, um, you know, uh, I think his name is Phil Murphy in New Jersey, the governor there should coast, and you got Newsom. And <coughs> it's very likely that we're going to keep all three seats. If Republicans were in, a, were in a similar position and they had three seats like that, and even if there were safe seats that were considered to be locks, like these seats are for us, if we failed in get, capturing them, there'd be a spin out there that you see yeah. Republicans are doomed for 22. Should we hold on to these seats? Should a similar spin be put out on the Republicans that were unable to capture any of these three seats? Yeah, but as we know, the media doesn't play it that way. The media always knows Republicans are in trouble, but they'll never paint it that way, obviously. Um, yeah, we'll see if they're safe seats. But as I was just saying, like, the f there's a lot of people who are going to vote in these elections who might not usually vote because they're looking at all the bat, bat crazy governors who are doing bat crazy things in other states and they're like i don't want that here right california is doing pretty good they were they were in a surplus on the budget and they handled covid pretty well despite early struggles right so it's like why would they want to give that up so i think people are going to show up but look the spin is always going to be the democrats are in, in, in disarray just because i think the alliteration is there so we can find a, a r word that republicans are in boom 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 then maybe we'll start to get some spin our way. You know, but <laughs> you saw that um, this week a poll came out, showed Biden with 52% approval. Uh, and, you know, just the week before or a couple weeks before, those polls came out were negative because of some of his performance on Afghanistan, which I think was goofed by the media. I'm not sure if you saw it. Is, um, I couldn't figure out why I did numbers. You know, if you got, anyone ever has a tweet that does numbers, Sometimes you planned it that way. Sometimes you didn't. Oftentimes you go ahead and you fire off that fire tweet and you're really shocked when it doesn't do numbers, right? Correct. You know, have you ever put that one out? You just keep refreshing because you just know, finally, I got that. Well, yeah. I went ahead and quoted um, uh, one of the reporters who put out the tweet and I just quoted it with uh, Jake Tapper and Tuck Todd are going to be mad about this because they seem to be rooting for Biden's demise. Dude, um, one of my friends who I, you know, who has a ton of followers retweeted it. And then evidently, I'm not sure who else, but the one person I saw that retweeted that's given me a lot of traffic 
is Deborah Messing. And so Deborah oh. Messing retweeted my tweet. Like, and and it, like I said, the funny thing was, like, I've had tweets before that did numbers. Let me tell you what it, what it is that. I've had <laughs> tweets before that, that have done numbers, um, but I kind of knew why. Dude, this is – I tweeted this yesterday morning. I've got 79, uh, 792 retweets, 43 quote tweets, and 4,396 likes. And it was so funny was I was sitting there as this was happening. I was like, I'm like, why is this tweet? I mean, I thought it was a throwaway line. It wasn't even one of my, meaning I definitely did not expect it. I didn't sit there and and say, yeah, this one's going to do some numbers. Because I think I'd put two or three other tweets out that day that I thought were fire that I thought would do some numbers, and they didn't. And so Maybe it was Deborah. Yeah, it Maybe it was Deborah Messing. Signal boosted, yeah. Because at one point, now I found out she, she retweeted it, was at one point someone replied to her retweet, and I saw I'm like, why did, you know, how am I in this reply? I'm like, oh, she retweeted it. But... Deborah Messing, by the way, wants all the smoke on Twitter. She'll come at come at the right. So I I respect Deborah Messing a lot. Yes, but oh, I I laughed, I laughed. But um, you know, it, it goes back to to where her story was. Is that um, you know, to hear Dick Tapper and Chuck Todd and Andrea Mitchell and some of the talking heads on cable news tell it two weeks ago, Joe Biden was just doomed. He was this doomed, yeah. and then all of a sudden his numbers turn around. But you know, it, it it gets frustrating. It gets absolutely frustrating. But you know, I'm looking right now. We're 51 minutes into the show. I think it's probably time to wind down. So for now, cool. this is Dan signing off. This is Fadi signing off. Thanks for joining us, guys. Mm-hmm.